Amen. Amen. Good to see you. You may be seated. Welcome to the Oasis. Glad to have you this morning. We're going to continue our series in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're just going to be looking at two verses this morning. Verses 11 and 12 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. While you're finding that in your Bible, uh, just a couple of reminders. Uh, we haven't been able to provide uh, child care for our infants and toddlers uh, for the month of June, but beginning next week, we will be able to do that again. And so we want to uh, encourage, and, and I just want to thank you parents who've continued to bring your, your babies out, even though we haven't been able to provide that because of the renovations going on at Basha. We really appreciate you, and it's been an encouragement to us uh, that you continue to come out. So next week, uh, we will have uh, a room for our babies and toddlers right here in the same hallway that uh, the other kids are in. Speaking of children, I just want to bring this to your attention. We'll be giving you more information in the coming weeks. But uh, as many of you know, we've uh, allowed you actually to purchase uh, her book here at the Oasis uh, several times. Uh, but uh, Kathy Peach's book, The Tiniest Tumbleweed has been chosen by the cancer, uh, Children's Cancer Network to be part of their care package for children suffering from cancer. And we're going to show you, yeah, that's a great honor for Kathy. And we're going to let you know how you can be a part of even getting those books uh, into those kids' hands who are suffering with cancer through the Children's Cancer Network. Uh, also, just a reminder, this coming Wednesday is our last Wednesday night uh, study uh, before we take the month of July off in the cafeteria over there, and then we'll come back strong in August with a new series. But in the month of July, uh, we are going to be holding a home Bible study at uh, Chuck and Anissa Freerich's home. And if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd encourage you to go out there to the information table, pick up a flyer that gives you all the information about that Bible study where their home is located, what the study is going to be on. We're going to be studying uh, the, uh, the life of Gideon out of the book of Judges uh, for four weeks. So I hope you'll join me for those four weeks. It's July 6th, 13th, 20th, and 27th. Uh, those four Wednesdays, we will not be meeting here in the cafeteria. We'll still be having Bible study for those of you that are interested. Uh, this series through 2 Thessalonians has been a challenge to me as the pastor as far as even landing on teaching it. Because just when I think I'm going to cover this particular passage or number of verses, God impresses something else upon me and we take sort of a turn. And, and that's the same thing that sort of happened here today. I was planning on actually getting into chapter 2 this morning, and God said, no, 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 I want you to really focus on these two verses, and I want you to speak this morning to our people about my calling on their life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, God's calling on our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Whether you know it or not, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a calling on your life. There is a divine purpose that God created you for. And God wants you to know what that calling is. 
So if you're here today and you don't know what that calling is or you have yet to say yes to the calling of God on your life, I'm hoping that this message will bring you to a place where you will begin to pursue that, be more interested in God's call, and be willing to say yes to whatever God's calling is upon your life. If you're already involved in God's calling of your life, then I hope that this message will just be sort of a a reinforcement to you to just keep on keeping on, to keep on following the call of God in your life and to keep performing the call of God on your life. Let's look at these two verses this morning, and I just want to read them before I share the thoughts that God has impressed upon my heart from this passage. I'm going to begin in verse 11. And as I begin reading also, let's be reminded that this comes on the heels of Paul talking to this local church in Thessalonica, which by the way, this church in Thessalonica still exists today, that he is writing to a particular local church and he has shared with them the responsibility that you and I have as being part of the body of Christ, the church. And then last week we saw that the reason we need to step up and be responsible as the church is because a day of reckoning is coming. Eternity is coming. And and how you and I live our lives and flesh out our lives as part of the body of Christ here on earth will have eternal ramifications. It will it will resound throughout eternity. It's that important. And so that's why Paul is reminding the church of the Thessalonians and he's reminding us, our local church, the Oasis, about the things that we really need to be focused on because God is holding his people responsible. We are the light in this world. There are no other lights. It is us as the people of God and us alone And if we do not shine the light of Jesus Christ, that light's not going to come from anywhere else. And yet, what we are involved in as the people of God, again, makes our life count for eternity. Not only individually, but corporately, you see. That's what Paul's really been impressing upon them. So then he picks it up in verse 11, where he says, and in this regard, based upon What I've just said, we pray for you always that our God will make you worthy of his calling and fulfill by his power your every desire for goodness and every work of faith. That the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want your mind to really settle down upon two words out of those two verses. And that's the words in verse 11, His calling. I I want you not only today, but hopefully, prayerfully, in the days and weeks and even months ahead, I want that to just settle upon you. Because notice, Paul is saying to the church, we, 
as your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ have been praying for you. We have been constantly praying at all times for you for this specific reason, that you would get to a place where you would embrace the calling of God in your life. We as Christians can be very good at praying for the physical needs of one another. And that's important. And we should pray for the physical needs of one another. But the Bible also teaches us and tells us that it is just as important, if not more important, that as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we pray for the spiritual needs of one another. That we pray for the spiritual health and well-being and fitness of one another. That we pray for the spiritual devotion, consecration, and commitment of fellow believers. Are we fulfilling that responsibility? Do you and I pray for one another in that regard? Paul said we do. We're not only remembering the physical needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are specifically praying for their spiritual need and their spiritual health and their spiritual consecration and commitment. And then, do you know of other Christians that are continually at all times praying for that for you? See, that's what we should be doing. And I I even believe it's one of the reasons why many Christians are not fulfilling the calling of God on their life. They don't even know what the calling of God is for their life, much less fulfill it. And then we wonder why the church is maybe not as powerful and influential as we should be as the people of God. Maybe our focus isn't where it should be, you see. So I want to talk this morning about this calling of God on our lives. First, I want to say this. Always remember that we are called to be before we are called to do. Let me repeat that. As followers of Jesus Christ, our first calling is to be before we do anything. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 14, you will see these words. Jesus was calling his disciples. And the Bible says, first of all, he called them to be with him before he ever sent them out to serve and to minister and to fulfill their purpose that he had for their life. And that's important because many Christians are trying to do for God before they are being with God. It's sort of like the story of Mary and Martha where Martha just you know, was frazzled and, and, and life was getting the better of her. And here's Mary, her sister, just sitting at Jesus' feet, soaking Jesus up and just being with Jesus. It's not that Mary was not a servant. 
It's just that Mary realized if I'm going to be an effective servant, if I'm going to fulfill God's call for my life, I first got to be with him. I've got to fellowship with him. I've got to spend time with God. I've got to get spiritually recharged and refreshed and reinvigorated. I've got to get my spiritual tank filled up because too many Christians try to do out of an empty tank. And as we've talked about here at the Oasis, one of our values is that we always try to remind each other to do for God out of, a, out of the overflow. That, that God should be such a part of our life every day where we are spending time with Him and in His Word and all of that, that we are being filled up every day so that whatever we do in service for God, ever, whatever we do in ministry, whatever our calling is that we're trying to attempt to fulfill, it's out of the overflow of what God is pouring in continually into our lives. So that's a really important part to start with because I don't want to get to the fulfilling of our calling before I remind us all, but it starts with being with God. We're always called to be with Him. That's why Jesus says, look, I want you guys just to hang with me. Let's just spend time together. Just, you know, just catch... (laughs) if you will, what I'm all about. Because a lot of times our faith and our life of faith is caught as much as it is taught. And so Jesus says, just come alongside of me. I'll make you fishers of men. But that's going to come in process. That's going to come in preparation. That's going to come in training. That's going to come later. Right now, just be with me. So maybe today that's even where some of us need to start. Maybe our time of just being with God, we've neglected. And before we keep trying to do more for God or even fulfill our calling or know what our calling is, we just need to learn to be with God more on a consistent basis. But then as we start to think about this calling of God in our life, let's figure out what that is. I think, again, the Bible's going to tell us very clearly, well, first of all, it is the purpose that God has for each one of us as we are part of His body. Which means that our calling and the fulfilling of our calling as a Christian cannot take place outside the context of the local church. Oh, please hear me, my friends. Because there are many Christians today that think, I can fulfill the calling of God on my life, but I don't have to be connected to His body to do it. I don't have to be involved in a local church to do it. I can fulfill the calling of God for my life outside the context of the local church. And I would simply say to any Christian who has landed there, show me in the Bible where that's true. Because every time I see The calling of God taught in the Bible, it's always fleshed out in the context of being under the authority, the accountability, and the context of the local church. See, God has a part for each of us to play in His body. And God says that purpose 
that I want you to play, that part that I want you to play, that's my calling for you. In fact, keep your finger in 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be traveling to a couple different scriptures, but I first want you to go back to the book of Ephesians, a book that we're actually going to start a series on in August on Sunday morning. And I want you to go to chapter 4, verse 16. This is all about the ministry of the local church and the leaders and how God calls leaders of local churches so that they can equip the, the uh, people of the local church for the work of the ministry and all of that. And then he gets down to verse 16 where he says, From him, speaking of Christ... The whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. Now, here's the key verse or phrase that I want us to look at this morning. As each one does its part, the body grows in love. See, God says, whatever local church I call you to... I then have a calling for you within that church. I have a part for you to play. I have a purpose for you to fulfill. That's my calling. Is everyone doing their part? That's the question. That's really the challenge of every local church. Not only trying to get believers to truly engage in the local church, but then, excuse me, trying to get every person in that church to be doing their part. Because it's only as every member of the body does its part that the body really functions as it should. If everyone's not doing its part, then, you know, the church, as it has for so long, it just sort of limps along and it's not running as, you know, we say on all cylinders. It's running only maybe at half of its capacity because half of the people in the church are maybe doing their part, but the other half aren't. Think about the dynamic of a church where everyone's doing their part. Where everyone's following their calling and their purpose within that body. What a dynamic, vibrant church that would be. And see, I think that that's even one of the reasons why the church doesn't have the turn on today that it has. And it's pretty much the turn off. That's why throughout the last several decades... In fact, I'll go back three decades, the last 30 years, church attendance and church involvement just continues to plummet, especially in America. I'm telling you, there's coming a day in America where local churches, you you think they struggle now, they're going to struggle even more. And here's my prediction. I believe especially large churches that have all this that they're trying to keep up, you're going to see them start to have to pull back and pull back and pull back because they've extended themselves so far. They've got satellite campuses all over here and yonder and everywhere, and they're not going to be able to support all of that with the, again, continuing plummeting involvement and, and activity of people 
who are interested in really being part of a local church anymore. And, and again, it's sort of the, the, we chase our tail because part of the problem is the church isn't operating or, or doing what God designed it to be or to do. Because God would say, if you did church my way, it would be this healthy, vibrant, alive place where people would be flocking to want to be a part of this because God would be moving and things would be happening and lives would be changing and, and it would be a place that would be, you know, a magnet, like a tract. And the reason why it's not is because in our modern, especially American culture of Christianity, we are not doing church the way God designed it to be. We can call it church, but if you line up the way God designed church to be with the way many churches are run today, you're going to see a discrepancy. In fact, that's one of the reasons why God has led me to do a series beginning on Wednesday nights when we come back from our break on discovering church, or maybe I should even entitle it rediscovering church. Looking at what the Bible says about the church. Because I think that this is something that's absolutely vital for every Christian to understand. And be interested in. And so that's what Paul says. Each one doing its part. Now let me share with you something else that may stretch you a little bit. I want you to go back to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, to Jeremiah chapter 1. And I want you to see something that I hope will be very encouraging to you, though. And that is this. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, I believe what we have here is an indication that even before you and I were created by God... God had a purpose or calling in mind for us. Does that stretch you a little bit? In other words, think about it. If God is a creator God, that means obviously he's not someone that just sort of just creates something without also giving thought, planning and preparation to what he's about to create. He has a plan in mind. Even the universe God had a plan in mind for the universe. The Bible teaches us God is a God of order. He's a God who plans things. He doesn't just do stuff willy-nilly or just off the cuff. He always has a plan and purpose in mind. Well, then it's just logical even. Forget what the Bible teaches even. It's just logical then if that's who God is. That before God ever knit you or me together in our mother's womb, As God was designing us, as God was forming us, as God was planting in us the the gifts and abilities and talents and temperament and personality and all that, that he already had a calling and purpose in mind for our life. And that's exactly what he reveals to Jeremiah. Notice what he says to Jeremiah. The Lord said to me, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. That blow your mind a little bit? That even before you and I were 
conceived. God said, I have a plan for you. And therefore, I'm going to create you and form you a certain way. Because I have a particular calling and purpose in mind for your life. It's sad how quickly things wane, even in our Christian circles. Because, and and maybe I'm way off, because I I don't do good with dates, especially going back. But I'm going to say, what, 25, 30 years ago? When Rick Warren came out with the Purpose Driven Life, man, that was the thing. Every Christian was reading it. Churches were using it as, you know, small group guides and all that. And Purpose Driven Life, that's what everything was about. I got to find my purpose. I got to find my call. I mean, that's really what... And yet, that had a splash for a while and then... And please, I'm not here to to say I'm I'm endorsing that book or recommending that or anything else. I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, shouldn't we as Christians always be focused on God's calling and purpose for our life? If we understand that even before he created us, he had a purpose or calling in mind for us. Shouldn't that, in a sense, even excite us? Wouldn't we want to know then, God, why I'm here and why a million years from now it's going to matter that you created me if I just figure out what your purpose and calling for my life is and that I just faithfully do it and perform it within the context of your body? Isn't that in the end and throughout eternity, isn't that what really matters? Not what I want my life to look like, but what what you designed me for, what your calling was, and that's why Paul was praying the prayer that he was for the Thessalonians. And listen, they were an on-the-ball church. I mean, remember, this church is commended by Paul. There, He brags about this church, but he still says, guys, i, I got to remind you, don't ever forget, are, are you fulfilling your calling? And Paul's prayer back in 2 Thessalonians was that God would make them worthy of his calling. It simply means that, look, God's not going to make us do anything. So Paul's not saying God's going to violate your free will and he's going to force you to do what he designed you to do. That's not what Paul means by those words. What Paul means is simply that his prayer is that that the people of God would be willing to follow what God designed them for, what God has called them to do and to be. What is his purpose? What part does he want you and me to play? Now back to 2 Thessalonians. Here's some encouraging things as well. Paul goes on to say, when he talks in the context about the fulfilling or performing of God's call for our life, that we do this by his power your every desire for goodness and every work of faith. I'm going to say it this way because it simplified it for me. If you and I say yes to God's calling, we can count on God's power. We can count on the passion to perform it. And we can count on the perseverance to see it through. That's what Paul's saying here. 
See, Paul's saying, first of all, whatever God's call is for your life, you and I never have to fear that we do it in our own power, in our own strength, or our own capability. That's never the case. If you and I are trying to do something that we're calling our calling or purpose, and it's something that you and I can do in our own power and strength, then that's not the call of God. The call of God will always, always, always require His power and strength, not ours. It has to go beyond us, what we can do on our own. I'm jumping a little ahead of myself, but that's why He gets the glory for it. In fact, looking ahead to the study of Gideon on Wednesday nights in July at Chuck and Anissa's house, that's one of the reasons why God said, uh, too many soldiers. I'm going to cut you down from 30,000 soldiers down to 300. 300? Gideon said. I mean, the guy was already a fearful guy. What do you mean, God? You want me to deliver Israel with 300 soldiers and I'm, we're facing thousands of Amalekites? Yeah. Because God says, guess what? With that little number, guess who gets the glory for it? Not you, but me. That's why many times God likes to work through small groups. <laughs> Because when God, if, if a big massive amount of people does something, then guess who takes the credit for it? We do. Look what we did. But when only a small group of people or even one individual does something significant, then it's obvious God worked through it. That's why God called that little shepherd boy David to fight that big giant Goliath. Because no one in Israel would say, well, David was, he was a big strapping guy. He was like six foot ten. He could take down that giant on his own. No, there was no way little shepherd boy David could take on big giant Goliath. It was God's power and God's strength working through that shepherd boy. That's what took the giant down. And that's what part of God's call is. We never have to worry about where we're going to find the power and strength to do it. God will give it to us if we say yes and embrace his call. Fulfill it by his power. And then he says, every desire for goodness. It's just another way of saying that God even puts the passion and the zeal, if you will, to be profitable and beneficial to others, which is what the word goodness means, in us as well. He'll give us the passion for what he's called us to do. In fact, Paul said to, this, to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For the one who is bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for his good pleasure is God. God not only gives us the power to fulfill our calling and perform it, he gives us the passion for it. So that's another way that you and I know whether we're in the calling or not. If you're doing something for God and yet you're just sort of going through the motions, your heart's not in it, you're just sort of fulfilling a role, you're, you're plugging a need, but that's not your passion, then you should question and you should be really mature enough to go, you know what, I need to back out of this and I need to find what I'm really passionate about because that's my calling. That's why I don't think any of you probably have, have a hard time figuring out what my passion is, right? <laughs> Teaching the Word of God? 
But see, that passion doesn't just come from Jeff. That passion is placed within me by God. And the same thing is true for you and in, in your calling. God will light a fire about something inside of you. It will be your passion. You will have a desire and a zeal for what he's called you to. Again, that goes back to why God created you that way. God knows how he created you. He knows you better than than we know ourselves. And so the way he designed us is going to fit his calling. That's why I tell people, pursue your passion. And then he says, every work of faith, verse 11. The word work speaks about a sustained effort involved in something. A sustained focus on something. And that's really what it takes to fulfill God's calling. Because it's not going to be something that God calls us to and then a week later goes, nah, I got another calling for you. Because you and I won't see any fruit or any fulfillment from something so short term. It's got to be something that we're willing to invest in over the long haul. Can I say, as a pastor of a local church, that's why people who go from this local church to that local church to that local church every couple of years and never really settle down anywhere and invest over the long term, they will never see fruit or fulfillment from their calling because they just keep hopping around. You and I know that in life. In fact, Lisa and I were just talking about this the other day. You know, you finally get to a place where after being married together for all those years and going through all the hard work of raising children and then getting to that grandparent stage... Where it's like, ah, but if we would have never stuck it out and we would have never put in all that time to our kids and all that, then, then the fruit, if you will, and, and some of the good things that come back around after so many years would have never been there. Because in order to really begin to see the dividends come back, you got to invest for a while. Well, that's a work of faith. And that means we've also got to be trusting in God rather than trusting in ourselves. That's really what faith is all about. And then Paul goes on in 2 Thessalonians 1.12 to say this, and you can tell I'm going to wrap up in a minute because I'm losing my voice anyway. Here's the reason that God is inviting all followers of His within His body in the context of the local church to fulfill their calling and do their part and and find their purpose so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Can others look at our church and our life and see God in us? That's what it means to bring God glory. The word glory simply means to be manifested. Is God manifested in my life? Is He manifested in our church? As others look in, can they see God? That's bringing glory to God. That's why you know the early Christians were bringing glory to God because they weren't even named Christians yet. They didn't give themselves that name. Who gave them the name Christians? People who were looking at the church from the outside in. They said, you know what? Those people over there, they remind me of that guy, Jesus the Christ. 
I'm going to call them a Christian. That's bringing glory to God. That's living in such a distinctive way that people can see God in us and through us. But then I love this. Notice Paul goes on to say that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. How are we glorified in him? By finding all that we need in him. That's how. That he is our all-sufficient Savior. And whatever I need to fulfill his purpose and his calling for my life, I'll find it. I have it already. I just need to be willing to say yes to his calling. I need to realize that in him, I share in his victory. Our God, Jesus Christ, is not a loser. He's never been a loser. Jesus Christ has not lost one battle with one enemy ever. And so Paul says, if you and I are followers of Jesus Christ, then we can be thankful to God that we are led in triumphal procession in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. We always win when we follow Jesus because no one ever defeats Jesus. And if we're following Him and fulfilling His calling in our life, then we won't be defeated either. As we sang about, we will overcome Too many Christians today, again, because they have not been being with the Lord and then doing the calling of God in their life, when they look out the landscape of what's going on in the world and in Europe and in our own country and stuff, they are overwhelmed. There are many Christians, they they don't know how to handle what's going on in the world today. And that's sad because that's not a good reflection on our God. We're letting the world overcome us. Didn't Jesus say, I've already overcome the world? In me, you will have peace. In the world, you'll have trouble and suffering. But I've overcome the world. And that's why Paul said, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Are we living like it? And then Paul goes on to say, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the word grace just simply means that supernatural enablement that God gives to us. God will give us everything we need to fulfill our calling. The question is, have we said yes to his calling? That's the real question here today. Have we said yes to the calling of God? Now, God may redirect our calling in life, but he will never rescind it. Paul said to the Romans in Romans eleven twenty nine, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. How you and I flesh out our calling may change. Time and place and all of that. I'll use myself as an example. I knew that the calling of God on my life from the time I was 12 years old was to teach the Word of God. Now, obviously, I haven't done that in the same place for 31 years, but, and I haven't done it in the same way, but the calling never changed. God never took that calling away, and God won't. He never will rescind or take back that calling. 
In fact, the context of Romans 11.29 is where Paul's talking about the nation of Israel. And he says, surely you understand even as Gentile Christians in the church that God will never take away his calling from you because God never took away his calling from the nation of Israel. They are still his chosen people. Even after all that they have done to reject him, they are still his people. And they always will be. Because again, the calling of God is not based on our performance. The calling of God was determined even before God created us. He had a design and purpose for every one of our lives. Are we saying yes to his calling? Let's pray. God, I pray today that there would be no one here today, God, that would say no to your calling. That God, even if they don't know yet what that is, what part they are to play, what purpose they have, at least, God, I pray that they would not just ignore it and reject it, but that they would become interested in finding out what your calling is. And maybe first just have to be with you for a while and go through a time of of learning and, and preparation and all of that before that is discovered. And that's certainly true. God, I pray that none of us just dismisses your calling. Because God, how sad it is for anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ to live their whole life on this earth and enter into eternity never either finding out or fulfilling what your calling was for their life. What you created them to be what you designed them to be with a particular purpose in mind. How tragic, how sad. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, it can change today. And we're getting ready to sing a song right now in closing about how you never give up on us. Your love continually pursues us. And I want us to be very well aware of that today. That maybe even up to this point, we have not been interested in the calling of God in our life. We haven't haven't pursued it in any way. But I want you to know, God will never stop pursuing you. And that His calling and His love for you and for me is absolutely entwined to one another. That whatever God is calling you to, it's out of His love for you. Because He knows what's best for you in your life. Just like He knew what was best for me and my life. And the only way we will really find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning in our lives on earth is when we are willing to follow God's plan and God's purpose and God's will and God's calling for our life. Will we say yes to the ever-pursuing love of Jesus today in our lives? I pray we will today as a church and as individuals. These things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.